AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And as usual on Tuesdays, we are joined by Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. As today, we are going to be talking about some of the latest news from the Minnesota State Legislature, including updates on what's happening with the Mayo Clinic and their efforts to try to lobby the legislature to relax nurse staffing rules for that could impact the Mayo Clinic. We'll be talking about that as well as education funding, some bills that could impact Uber and Lyft drivers, and if we get some time, we might touch on whether Minnesotans are really fleeing for low-tax states, as we often hear from Republicans. So, Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, let's start off talking about education funding, because at least right now, it looks like leaders in the House and Senate have tentatively agreed on an education funding bill that would increase, well, school funding in Minnesota by about $2.3 billion. The bill will still need to go back to the full House and Senate to get that uh, put together version of voted bond by both chambers. But I am curious, this is a big boost for schools. So let's talk about what this is going to mean, how schools are going to be impacted, because uh, it seems like for a number of districts, this will be a, a much-needed influx of cash for them. Yeah, it's a 10% increase over the previous two-year budget, um, and uh, it includes a big increase in what's known as the general education funding formula, uh, so that districts are going to get uh, an average of $7,138 per student in the, in the next fiscal year, that's up from uh, 66.83, so that's uh, almost a seven percent increase. Uh, given inflation, um, it's not probably as as big as it may uh, sound, uh, but it's still a significant increase. There's also an issue uh, that you'll hear um, public school districts talk about a lot, um, as well as teachers, and that's uh, called the it's known around the capital as the cross subsidy. What that means is that the federal and state government have mandated uh, special education funding, uh, as I, I think we would all uh, expect, um, but they haven't really paid for it. And so um, what happens is that districts have to use uh, what, what you could call, I guess, general education money to, to pay for this, the rising cost of special education. Um, and so that's called the, the cross-subsidy in the state has agreed to step in and, and uh, pay for some of that. Uh, so that's a, another big win um, for the district. Um, and uh, there's also, a, they've, they've, they wanted to make sure that uh, seasonal school workers could uh, apply for unemployment benefits. The school district said, uh, well, wait a minute, that's going to cost uh, quite a bit of money for them. And so the legislators created a an aid account uh, for hourly workers that with the with $135 million. Um, there's also a number of uh, key provisions in here, uh, labor provisions um, and other uh, policy provisions that uh, I think are going to be a big interest to the school district. Uh, but what, what really happened here is that uh, the people of Minnesota spoke uh, pretty loudly last year. Uh, the DFL has run on education, I think, every election in memory. And, and support for public education is something that Minnesotans are pretty proud of. And uh, and they elected a former, re-elected a former teacher. And uh, the teachers union was instrumental in his victory uh, in the DFL primary in 2018. And again, 
last year, both financially and volunteers. And so this is a, a bill that is uh, very much to the liking of the, the, the teachers union. Um, but also I think more broadly, uh, public education advocates, I think there's, there's some misgivings among the districts because of new, new mandates and, and whether or not those are going to uh, eat up all of the, the new money. Um, but I think in general, um, I think education advocates are pretty happy with this budget. And one final follow-up question on this has to do with inflation playing a role in that education funding formula, because I imagine, at least for taxpayers, that could be a good thing, because uh, I know a lot of people are probably sick of getting those property tax increases or getting referendums that they have to fund. So I'm guessing this inflation formula could play a big role in making sure that, well, we don't have to do this year after year saying, well, how much do we need to increase education funding by? Do I kind of read that right with this inflation uh, formula that's put yeah. in there? Okay. Yeah, that's that's a key point. They've indexed this, uh, and so from from here on out, it will track with inflation. They they did uh, create a uh, a floor and a ceiling on that, but um, this does get uh, get us uh, through some of the, as you say, the kind of every other year uh, this uh, big conflict at the legislature. Uh, over how much to, to put onto the formula. And I, I think putting that thing on autopilot is uh, probably a, a pretty good move um, and uh, insulates uh, the both the legislature and the, the school districts uh, from having to go through this uh, big fight every two years. I mean, we're still going to have a uh, we're still going to have lots of political conflict in the legislature over money. Um, but I think this uh, should give some stability. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever see uh, education not become a political issue, but as you said, that could certainly help maybe uh, stabilize things for funding in uh, future cycles. I want to move on and talk about some other bills being debated at the legislature, and this is one that I have heard about but have not been paying a lot of attention to, but kind of glad uh, that you brought this up in our email this morning, and this is a bill that has to do with Uber and Lyft drivers getting possibly significant wage increases, better insurance coverage, and protections against being fired or deactivated. As many drivers say, there are problems with, well, gas costs and inflation, and little protections against passengers who are, well, very unruly, with some drivers drivers even being assaulted. So I'm curious, what exactly does this bill do? Because I understand uh, the authors of this bill even watered down some of the provisions, but Uber and Lyft are still largely crying foul about this new bill. So I'm curious about what exactly this does. Yeah, so the the idea here is to make sure that drivers who are independent contractors, they're not employees of Uber and Lyft. Um, and, and because they're independent contractors, they, they don't get many of the benefits that, that um, many people, the rest of us get as employees, and, and meaning that they there's no uh, unemployment insurance, uh, Social Security benefits, um, they, um, they don't have a minimum wage, uh, et cetera. So the, the idea is let's put into law some uh, minimum protections uh, for these drivers and um, and then also give them some kind of semblance of due process uh, for when they get, um, they call it deactivated, but basically fired. Um, and uh, the the original bill um, was very robust uh, in terms of the, the minimums. Um, I think they were going to be entitled to a dollar 45 
uh, no, that's just the latest version. Sorry. Um, but they, they had really significant, uh, minimums and that uh, the customer would pay as well as a per mile fee and then time uh, in the uh, in the car um, and according to uber and lyft and actually if you did the math you could you could figure it out yourself the the, the price of a one-way trip from st paul to minneapolis was going to skyrocket they've now brought the the, the bill is now um, considerably has come those those prices have come down um the other issue being insurance um they wanted significant they don't they're not uh, entitled as employees to insurance that they it's it's all on the drivers um and so they wanted to require uh, uber lyft and other of these app-based transportation companies to um to provide them with some insurance for uh, any time they were um got into a, a wreck and and were uh, injured or if they were injured by a passenger uh, that they would be covered. Uber went out and said, you can't even buy this kind of insurance uh, for what they were looking for. Uh, so that's been scrapped. Uh, so the bill's been watered down qu- quite a bit, but it's still pretty robust. In fact, uh, Uber and Lyft, um, Max Nexterak, our uh, deputy editor, just reported Uber and Lyft sent uh excuse me uber we know sent their customers and drivers uh an email last night uh, warning them that uh, they could uh close up shop in minnesota if the bill passes and anywhere near its current form so they're playing hardball i mean we've seen this a lot in, uh in the recent days of the legislature where some of these big institutions the mayo clinic was another one uh from about 10 days ago have um have threatened uh for lack of a better word uh, to to pull out of uh, minnesota in the case of mayo clinic it was a, a big uh, investment in a new hospital or some kind of facility and here uber is saying we'll just pull up and, and leave the state uh if we don't get our way so uh, and what's really fascinating is that the the bill was kind of dead and then last week uh senator omar fatah um used his leverage um because it's a 34 33 senate so any dfl member can say well you know if i don't get what i need um the whole state budget is at risk because this is a budget year and and there's major parts of the budget including education and health and human services and the tax bill have not been uh, approved by both chambers and signed by the governor so any single Democratic member in the Senate especially can really hold things up. He denies that he uh, he threatened anyone, um, but he says uh, he made it a he made clear to leadership that it was a priority. So read between the lines. So uh, this seems like a, a newly must pass must pass piece of legislation. I think that um, you know if they don't get everything they want, they'll they'll come back next year. On the other hand. Once the bill goes into effect, um, you know, if you see a significant uh, increase in in the cost of taking an Uber places, you know, I think I think that's going to uh, that's going to upset the customers. It might reduce demand, which is going to be bad for drivers. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out the way it's implemented. 
And final question on this, I, I know they didn't necessarily do anything to change the, the status of being an independent contractor uh, versus a traditional employee, which has been a big holdup with Uber and Lyft drivers. I, I know Minnesota was kind of looking at a similar model to maybe what Washington State did, where they took kind of a different line of that independent contractor versus employee status versus California, who was a little bit more aggressive. So uh, how does our bill compare to some of the other states? I, I guess I'm mainly looking at how Washington State and California California have tried to regulate Uber and Lyft. Right. California went the employee route and the, the companies fought back hard. And now there's a, uh, they're, they're, they're in litigation out there fighting over that. Washington state took a different approach. He said that, you know, you'll stay independent contractors, but we're going to make sure you have these baseline benefits like the minimum wage, minimum pay, and some protection uh, from getting, uh, deactivated and that kind of thing. So, um, that, so we have a model here. It's Washington state. Um, and apparently the, the drivers there get a dollar 17 per mile and 34 cents per minute. Um, which, I mean, it's interesting because when the, when the Minnesota bill was first introduced, it was going to be minimum fee of 650 per ride plus 255 per mile and 65 cents per minute. So they were, they wanted to charge, uh, significantly more um, than, in fact, almost, well, no, more than double what they were in Washington State, even though it's a more expensive place uh, to live out there. So it kind of shows you the, uh, the direction this bill has moved. You would think that they're, they would settle on uh, rates that would be similar to Washington State or even cheaper because it is uh, we have a cheaper, uh, ch- cheaper uh, price of uh, living here. Well, Uber and Lyft, as you said, are certainly trying to lobby against this bill, which is, well, not uh, unusual here in Minnesota over the past few weeks because, though, that kind of leads me into our next topic with another large company that is trying to lobby legislatures legislators against a bill, and that, of course, is the Mayo Clinic, who is looking to get an exception from a bill that would have uh, requirements for hospitals to have proper nurse staffing levels. Uh, This comes also as healthcare workers at the Mayo Clinic's uh, Mankato Hospital are trying to decertify their union. So uh, certainly a lot going on with Mayo right now with them threatening investments in Minnesota if they don't get their way on these new nursing staff regulations and an exception. This comes, as I said, with Mayo Clinic, uh, nurses in Mankato voting to decertify, and also uh, your own Max Nesterak at the Reformer pretty much uncovering that we know almost nothing about these uh, supposed Mayo Clinic projects that they are supposed to be investing billions of dollars in. So I'm curious what the latest on the Mayo Clinic is. Have they been successful thus far in trying to grant these exceptions? Where's the legislature right now in terms of trying to possibly cut something out for a Mayo Clinic? Yeah, it looks increasingly like there's going to be some kind of a carve-out for Mayo uh, the Speaker of the House, um, in, in a rather unfortunate soundbite on Sunday, I think she was on a different radio station. She said something like, "The well, the Mayo Clinic is different because they, they treat kings and princes, um, I think was her line, um, mm-hmm. which you can imagine the other hospitals in the state, who are many of which are very top flight and serve uh, um, a pretty... Uh, uh, excellent cross section of uh, society. Um, and I don't understand why Mayo Clinic should be treated differently because uh, sometimes uh, various royalty visit Rochester. 
Um, but it, it does appear that Mayo um, is going to get some kind of a carve out. I think they've uh, the negotiations have stalled with the bill authors, and uh, I suspect this is going to get solved by leadership. As I said, the speakers made her her, uh, her feelings clear. I think Governor Tim Walls uh, has a long time relationship with Mayo. Um, certainly, they were an important uh, source of counsel um, and assistance during the pandemic. Uh, and remember that he was the congressman from the first district in mm-hmm. southern Minnesota, and it's, uh, Mayo is probably certainly one of the most important institutions of southern Minnesota. It's the the biggest uh, private sector employer in the state. Um, it is an international uh, institution. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think they're probably going uh, to get their way on this, at least to some degree. Um, and I'm sure that the, the other hospitals in the state are, are livid and have a right to be. Uh, so um, I, I expect this will get solved at a leadership level. When I say solved, I mean they're going to cut a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may announce that as soon as today. Yeah, and it's just, uh, as we look through this, I mean, as I mentioned, Max was able to, well, do some research on this to try to, well, what are these projects that Mayo Clinic is threatening to pull out of the state? I know they were threatening to pull billions of dollars, but just to reemphasize it, we really don't have any specifics, even from local governments, about any plans for new projects to be built in Minnesota. So it's just kind of interesting that, well, no one, uh, at least in the political realm, in the legislature, is necessarily calling out Mayo or calling out their uh, possible bluff on this maybe they do have these projects in the works but at least thus far as what i've seen from max's research uh, we still don't really know a whole lot about these supposed investments that mayo clinic is going to make yeah i mean i think that's what's particularly galling to a lot of people is that they're just saying trust us and uh that's not something uh that we at least at the reformer cotton to very much uh and um he, Max actually tweeted that there was, I think there's a report out of a radio station down in Rochester that has some kind of leaked uh, renditions of what this uh, project would look like. It's like a you know, massive kind of hospital facility. Um, but um, still, I, I think it just, it sticks in people's craw that they, when a powerful player like kind of throws their weight around like this. And I, I think that's, um, it's, uh, it's backfired uh, for Mayo, even if they get their way legislatively. Um, I think the the damage to their uh, to their reputation, um, at least around the Twin Cities, uh, has been uh, not insubstantial. We can read more about that minnesotareformer.com minnesotareformer.com max is reporting on the mayo clinic and their possible projects as well as their latest efforts to try to lobby the legislature briefly want to touch on one last uh, piece of news and uh, and something that uh, you guys were working on the reformer and that has to do with the fact that well republicans have years have been claiming that people are fleeing minnesota for low tax havens you guys actually dug into the data and did show that in 2022 we did have a net loss of 19,000 people that were uh, moving to other states rather than moving into Minnesota, which was the largest in three decades. But uh, there is a little bit more to those numbers than just saying people are simply leaving Minnesota for low tax havens, correct? 
Yeah, I mean, the the reasons that people leave a place or go to a place are incredibly complicated, and we don't necessarily really even come to any conclusions. Um, You know, what we do know is that uh, certainly after uh, a fair amount of migration into the state in the 90s, uh, we had some uh, loss of folks, and we are kind of back up. But these are very small numbers in the scheme of things. I mean, even this, this large, uh, what's considered is, you know, this idea that crowds are fleeing Minnesota, it's a tiny percentage, uh, a portion of a percentage even of the population. Um, but it's become a, a major Republican talking point. Um, I mean, I, I think the pandemic has just, uh, has been a demographically tumultuous time. People have reconsidered their relationship to their work and to their home. And so there's a lot of movement. I just, I, I don't think that this is a, uh, a, a fair uh, reading of uh, three years of data that happened during a worldwide pandemic. The other thing they keep tossing around is that the, this IRS data where a uh, billion and a half dollars uh, people took with them. Um, and so, um, but, you know, I mean, a billion and a half dollars sounds like a lot of money, but it's actually not in the context of the Minnesota economy, which mm-hmm. I mean, we have a, our state uh, GDP is $446 billion. So, um, you know, a billion and a half dollars, uh, it's, uh, it's just not very much. Um, so that all that being said, um, you know, nobody wants to be uh, Detroit um, or the state of Ohio, where uh, you know I have this depopulation and um, and people with um, people who are moving out and young people are moving out, uh, and as well as retirees and so forth. I, we don't want that. Uh, it creates all kinds of knockoff uh, problems that are difficult to deal with. There's no question. Um, but uh, I don't think anybody uh, can credibly argue that the Twin Cities are Detroit mm-hmm. um, or, or that uh, Minnesota is Ohio. Um, and um, I think we need to get some perspective there. I mean, if that were to happen, if there were some sort of uh, large population loss, and, and loss of economic growth and activity, uh, you know, sure. Then, then absolutely, it's it's something that's worth examining. Um, but I don't see how a couple of years of data um, would give us reason to to think the sky is falling and we need to uh, and suddenly become Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and as you said, it's, it's always important to put context on these numbers, where even if we look at that net loss of 19,000, if you take that a percentage of uh, Minnesota's population, it's almost nothing. And talking about the money we possibly lose from that as well, it's uh, pretty minuscule, and it's only a, a very small sample size. You can read more about that, minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. As we have been speaking with Patrick Hulican, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, talking about the latest news that they've been working on. Again, make sure you go minnesotareformer.com. Patrick, as always, thanks for the time today. Always a pleasure. Let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil up next. Next. 